Welcome to Dirt City Bible Hour. This is Dan Taylor. I am under a blanket in my living room, and we are going to talk about leadership today. If you can rate, subscribe, share, all those wonderful things, it helps to keep this going. Thanks. So if you're a citizen of the Commonwealth like I am, um, we have a new king. Uh, the queen is dead. Long live the king, I guess. And it's an interesting question for us to, to have to evaluate. Okay, was this queen good? Which most people say she was. Was she bad? I mean, it's the concept of monarchy in most places in the Commonwealth is 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 pretty strained at the best of times. And, and if you're asking the official Dirt City Bible Hour opinion on the monarchy, that opinion is meh. Um, I don't know that it matters that much. And I think it would be really complicated to change it. Um, but if we were going to do that, then that might be better or it might be worse. I I really have no idea. But I think it is important to talk about the concept of leadership, especially for political leaders. In our country, we are a few years away from an election now, but it always seems to be an issue. And the people and a thing that people get really, really mad about, certainly in Canada, there seems to be this underlying rage about uh whether you like Justin Trudeau or dislike Justin Trudeau or you like Pierre Polyev or you dislike Pierre Polyev or if you are not familiar with any of those people and are from another country, those are the the right-left leaders who are kind of matter here. And it is frustrating um, sometimes because it doesn't feel like we can have real conversations about the difficult job it is to lead a country it's it's tough there are systems in which leaders have to work there are complications brought in by media by outside forces there is way less control over the things that people care about than a lot of people would like to admit and it becomes a really important thing for us to talk about and it's and our political leadership hasn't been helped by the fact that in my country at least, and certainly in North America, I imagine in much of the developed world as well, um, the politics has become more entertainment than it has anything else. It's become really unfortunate, and this is really an advancement, I think, in my lifetime, that we're no longer voting for for political parties based on their plans, their character, their ability and ideology to to move us in a, one direction or the other, or or policies. We're no longer voting for those. It feels like we're voting for laundry, and which is fine in when it comes to sports. I love sports. I'm a big sports fan. Uh, I live in Edmonton, Alberta. Our sports team is the Edmonton Oilers. 
and the team that we hate is the Calgary Flames. And that's fine and fun because it's sports. Um, and sports doesn't really matter. It's ultimately a game, and it's fun, and I really enjoy it. But one of the most dangerous things that has happened in my lifetime is that me and a lot of other people have gotten very, very sophisticated in the way that we talk about sports. We can talk about um, even uh, a player from a team that we hate. We can talk about him as a, as a, his statistical abilities. We can talk about his... Um, defensive abilities. We could talk about um, how do we have enough of a sample size to see if success or failure over a short period of time is going to translate over a long period of time. We've really removed much of the emotional aspect of sports and replaced it with kind of an analytical systems thinking about sports. And I enjoy that. That has made me a better sports fan. However, in the same time that that has happened, we've done the opposite when it comes to politics. The people who are raging on the news about politics do not understand how a law turns from an idea into an encoded piece of legislation. And we're not really even voting for people according to that. We're voting to them according to the, are they part of our team or not part of our team? And that is the way to get the worst government in a democracy. If someone feels like they can take your vote for granted, then, then they don't have to work that hard to come up with good ideas and good leadership in order to keep it. And I think that there's another big problem where there's a good chunk of the population. And, and the right is easy to pick on, but they do have a lot of these kind of guys that are just operating as trolls. There's a guy named... Matthew Kachuk, who plays for the, who used to play for the Calgary Flames, now he plays for the uh, exceedingly irrelevant Florida Panthers. Sorry, Florida, um, but you don't even care about the Florida Panthers, so why should anybody else? But he was hated in in Edmonton because he was just kind of a piece of trash on the ice. He was a whiny, and he would uh, try and hurt people. And then when people tried to initiate contact with him, he would whine. But he was a very good player, and he was a very good agitator. And he was the kind of player that if he was on your team, you loved him. And if he was on the other team, you hated him. And that's a fine thing to exist in sports. But our politics in Canada particularly, but I think it's true in other places in the world, has just become rife with Matthew Kachuk's. Of no interest in actually doing the job that they've been given, but are mostly interested in having people hate them and agitating the the other players in the fan base, and and are less interested in actually doing the job of legislation and more interested in just getting a reaction for lols. Again, that is fine in sports, but politics is real. And I'm affected by our tax dollars, and I have children who are going into an education system and, and, are, and are dealing with an environment that, that, that we are dealing with. We have grown-up problems to deal with, and we all get worse governance no matter what side of the political aisle you happen to stand on. We all get worse governance if we have stopped thinking hard about leadership and the kinds of things that we demand of it. So... I started thinking about this just in light of getting a new king, that what is the biblical expectation of a king? And I want to be clear, the Bible doesn't really have, is really kind of agnostic about any sort of political leadership. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy and, and, and the Torah sort of outlines what it would look like for God's people when they're in charge in this world. Um, and initially, 
the political system seems to be local councils uh, doing justice at the city gates is what uh, would be the terminology that they use for it. But, but local councils of individual places bound by an overarching ethnic and religious system um, with specific cities reserved as cities of refuge. Okay, so um, there isn't one overarching central power in the original manifestation of the Torah uh, that comes a little bit later. Um, but there is this expectation that, that, that Jerusalem will be the religious center and that local councils will be influenced and, and led by a central religious authority. Um, and that's interesting because the, the monarchies were most of what was happening around them. And, and partially in order to distinguish themselves from the territories around them, as we discussed in the last couple of episodes, that, that they weren't supposed to have a king because they were supposed to be different. But even the Torah makes an allowance in Deuteronomy for like when you get into the land. And I'm reading from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 right now. When you enter the land, your go- the Lord your God is going giving you and you have taken possession of it and settled in it. And you say, let us set a king over us like all the other nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. So this is already interesting we are accounting for the thing that had, has just gone by which is that that you ought not to have a king because you're supposed to be distinct and different from the land that is around you but if you when you have a king and you decide that you won't be you want to be like that it must be the man that god chooses okay and it's interesting because it allows for some level of human influence in this because the very next verse it says he must come from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. So this makes sense. I think that we can all get behind that, that, that the king should come from the place that he or she is attempting, the ruler ought to come from the place that, that they are attempting to oversee. Um, I don't think anyone is going to have a, a real problem with that or, or, or distinction with that. And uh, that doesn't really help us get anywhere because I think most, even nation states today, as they didn't exist down then, then, but nation states today, almost all of them, I think, would, would have some sort of regulation that you have to have been born in the place where you are attempting to uh, run for leader. It continues. Okay, and this is where it gets important. So in verse 16, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you must not go back that way again. So this is moving in two separate directions. One, there's the obvious one of great numbers of horses, and that's just the accumulation of wealth, and this is going to be stated a couple of times later. Um... But the big thing about great numbers of horses is horses were the main part of a military. That was the reason to have horses at the time. They weren't, they were a, a way for transportation, but transportation wasn't a real issue. And they were a way for, for farm work, but most of the farm work was, was done with, uh, with donkeys at the time. Um, horses were instruments of war. And when it says that the king must not acquire great numbers of horses uh, for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, essentially there's, what we're talking about here is military spending. And that the role of the king is not to have a bu- to spend a lot of the, the country's resources on a, a standing military. Because what you're going to do with a standing military is that you've got to find 
people to attack with that standing military. You're either going to start trying to expand the territory of your kingdom, or you're going to defend yourself from foreign invaders. Um, and the Bible states that the king that God has chosen ought not to do those things. You shouldn't be interested in acquiring great amounts of territory for yourself, and nor should you be concerned about other people attacking you because God will be your protector. That is, in the story that they are telling, God is always the protecting force for the, for the people of Israel. So if they're doing what they ought to be doing, then they will not be attacked. And if they are attacked, then God himself will intervene. We had, spoke about this in the last one when we talked about war. And I think it's interesting in, in our context that, that military spending and accumulation of, of, of defense monies is kind of a thing that, 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 that does lead our leadership astray. Specifically in the U U.S., and it's it's unfair to pick on you guys, but uh, but the reality is the amount of money that the United States spends on their defense budget is 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 insane, and that is specifically a thing that leaders are ordered not to do because if you have a military, you're going to have to use it, and it costs a lot of money, and maybe the things that you're going to use it for aren't going to be the things that are healthy for your people. And this continues in terms of uh, hoarding and, and things like that for the money. Because verse 17 says, He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And he must not accumulate large amounts of gold and silver. And, and I realize that we're going from a biblical standpoint, which has a very different view of sex and sexuality than we currently have in our day and age. And, and to hold some uh, a contemporary leader to the standards of, uh, every contemporary leader to the standards of, of sexual ethics that uh, we see in the Old Testament um, would, would be difficult. But, I mean, almost no one in the Old Testament held themselves to the same sexual ethic as well. But I do think this is interesting. He must not take many wives or, or his heart will be led astray. There's something about a, compuls a compulsiveness that comes out of a leader's approach to sex and sexuality that indicates something wrong with your character and the easy one to pick on is bill clinton and i i was a I, I have a very specific relationship with that case because um in in the 1990s just for this very specific reason i was teenager and i was kind of like worldly and progressive and all of those things that you would say. And I heard all of the accusations that like, oh, this is just a right-wing plot to take down Bill Clinton. And um, this is a, just a terrible made-up thing. And why are we being so prudish? And, and I was like, yeah, why are we being so prudish? And the only person I ever heard say anything different was my mom. And my mom said... This was a 23-year-old kid, and he's the president, and that's wrong. And it was the first person that I had ever heard who divorced the actual like sex act from the, from the positional relationship. My mom was the first person that ever talked to me about that, those positional politics. I remember her saying, like, it's not like he had, he had an affair with the vice president of Finland. You know, that's a very different thing. This is a 23-year-old intern. And what this does say, and maybe that there's there's a difficulty for for Bill Clinton to get out of all of this sexual stuff, but there's the 
simple rule of don't shit where you eat, you know, that I think is wise. And if you're so out of control with your own character that you need to be validated by the attentions of a 23-year-old intern in your office, there is something wrong that indicates a failure in our character. So I think that this is kind of what the Bible is talking about when he says, you must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. There's a, a way of uh, th th that you can use sex and sexuality and the, the influence that you can have over people that you get from power to fill you up in a way that is not healthy. And I think that what they're describing when they talk about a leader in the Bible or a ruler or a king is, is, is someone who is not of a completely broken character so much that they're looking for the this in this way. You must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. And I take this one in two directions because I think it's really interesting. Obviously, for my for my anti-tax friends, there's this whole amount of like, well, he can't not accumulating large amounts of silver and gold. He's not getting taxes. And I think that that's fair. One hundred percent. It doesn't seem that the role of the king was to just uh, harshly tax his people in order to fill his own coffers. Um but I, I think that there's another thing that, like, that, that I think is important just in the regards to the way that economies work. If one person is accum accumulating large amounts of silver and gold, then that silver and gold is not circulating in the economy. And I think that there's a danger when the wealthiest of, uh, wealthiest of us become hoarders. And I think that that has happened in our current post-capitalist, you know, late-stage capitalist economy, is that the wealthiest among us, their money just sits. And it doesn't do anything. I think that that's one of the biggest concerns that I have in, in terms of tax cuts. The tax cuts that we were, that, and this is Dan's opinion, not the Bible. Okay, so this isn't coming from the Bible. But it does say you must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. You can take that in a, see, he shouldn't be taxing people. That's fair. Also, though, the economy works better for all of us if money is circulating. And we've created an, institu an institutions where the wealthiest among us do not circulate their money. And whether, and we can argue about whether or not they're the actual rulers of our society and how much actual political power they have. I think it, it's a, much more than they let on. But the wealthiest among us who are dictating the policy directions for our society are not circulating their money. They are hoarding it. And every tax cut we give them tends to hoard it more. So now we have an issue where where all of that gold and silver just sitting in a vault somewhere doesn't make anyone safe. It doesn't make anyone, uh, it doesn't help anyone in your nation. It doesn't build any infrastructure, right? So this is another thing that like, are you trying to fill up a hole inside you as leader that ought to be filled with something else? So those are the things that a king, a ruler, is not a leader is not supposed to do. They're not supposed to try and build up a giant military. They're not supposed to take a whole lot of women and get out of way out of whack sexually. They're also not supposed to hoard money and accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. So what are they supposed to do then? Verse eighteen: When he takes his throne of the kingdom, he is to write for himself a scroll uh, on a scroll 
a copy of the law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all of the words of this law and the decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn to the law to the right or to the left, and then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. This is really interesting. So, again, to write out a copy of the law would have been a years and years long project. The, the rules for scribes and how you were to record the law were very specific. They were, uh, um, it, was a, it was a tiresome process. But on the other end of it, you would know the law really well. And he's to write his own copy and then he's to read it all the days of his life and follow so that he can revere the Lord and follow the words uh, of the law and these decrees. Now, this is not only just about relationship to God, and that is by far the most thing, the most important thing that that God places as a desire for any leader. But it's also about just knowing the law and the systems in which they work. And I think this is interesting because there is a criticism in our current society that if anyone doesn't have, that, that we're, we criticize anyone who is involved in politics who has been involved in politics for a long time. And we say that we want somebody who is a businessman, we want somebody who is this, that, the other thing um, to, to lead us. I, I think it, that it ought not to be disqualifying for those who are trying to get into positions of leadership in government to actually understand how government works, to understand what they can and that they can't do. Um, and as much as we have this love for the outsider who's like, I'm just going to cut through all the red tape, some of that red tape is important. Some of that red tape is holding together some things that are really, really important and ought not to be cut. And... At least if there, and even if there was uh, a, like not necessarily a, a deep adherence to these things, but at least a curiosity of what they are and an understanding of how to find them would, would probably a good, be a good thing. Because one of the problems that we're having, certainly in my province, is that some of the people who are running for leader of my province um, are telling people that they're going to do things that they can't do legally in the country of Canada. There, in my province, there's people who are running who say that they're going to give Alberta a level of autonomy that just does not exist within the Canadian Constitution. And I think that that is, and there, we're at a place where it's like, okay, you're either not telling the truth about what you're going to do because you know that you can't do it, or... Um, you genuinely don't understand how government works. And I think that both of those things are probably disqualifying. But more important than even, even than understanding the, the movements of government and how to, how to turn ideas into legislation and how we can use this legislation in order to make sure that justice and, and prosperity and flourishing happens for, for, the people, for every people around us. I think that this, this verse 20 is, is most important. He's supposed to read the law and know the law in order that they not consider themselves better than their fellow Israelites. This is really interesting because I think we're in a position, in, in certainly in Canada and the Western world, where those who have a degree of power in our society, either economically or politically, do consider themselves better than their fellow Canadians, Americans, members of the United Kingdom. 
Australians. They do think that they're better than us. They, they do think that they're smarter than us. And they do think that the law doesn't apply to them in the same way that it applies to all of us. And that's a major concern. And it's a way that we can evaluate our leaders. If our leaders keep doing illegal things because they think it just doesn't matter, or they've got the economic power to just make these things go away, then that is a character that is a character disqualifier. That removes you from the option of being the the leader. And and we do live in a country where we have the responsibility. It's not just a freedom, it's a responsibility to pick those who are gonna lead us and if we're going to do that we got to make that decision well and i think that the if you think that you're better than everybody else and that the laws don't apply to you then that's disqualifying so he ought not to consider himself so through the law and understanding it he understands that he's not different than his fellow israelites and he's not to turn to the law from the right right or the left and then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in israel it's an interesting way that God proposes running his country in the Bible that whether you believe in a God or not. But it's interesting that in this story by which much of our society is derived from, the ruler is not to be, the main job of the ruler is not to be a warrior. The main job of the ruler is 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 not to be a business person. Um, but the main job of the ruler is to be a legal scholar. And from their knowledge of the law, to make room for other human beings, their fellow citizens, country people, brothers and sisters, however we want to expand that, to make room for them to flourish. And to ensure, when necessary, that no one is exploiting other people. And if we take this seriously, how does that change the way that we think about electing our leaders? Because I think that the first thing it does is it hopefully disconnects us from parties. Um, there are parties that are better than others, and I have a certain set of political ideologies, and and we can argue about whether those are correct or not. But I do think that all of us are done a disservice by tying ourselves and rooting for a particular political party the way that we root for sports teams. That is a dangerous way to do things. And to evaluate the character of those who are asking us to be our leaders by, by examining both their both their words and their actions and to say, are they going to accumulate large amounts of silver and gold? Are they going to take many wives? Are they going to hoard and accumulate for themselves? Or are they going to ensure that things keep circulating so that more of us can flourish? And do they understand the job that they are getting into? Do they understand the law? And not in the way that they can avoid the law, but in a way that they can in a way that makes them not better or worse than us, but to understand that we are all governed by this law and to do that well. I think that that changes the way that we vote for people. And especially in my province and in a lot of places in the United States and in other places as well, where some of these leaders are claiming 
to believe the Bible, trust the Bible, live their lives by the Bible? I would ask them the question, have you actually, if you're hoarding for yourself, if you're acting as if the law doesn't exist or it doesn't apply to you, and if you're accumulating and, and, and spending great wealth on things that are only of benefit to you, I think it's a fair question to ask, do you know the Bible at all?